0: This is KMTT, and this is Ezra Bek, and today is Erev Shabbat Kodesh Pashat Yitro. Actually, it's from Pashat Yitro that we learn that one should say Erev Shabbat Kodesh. On the Pasuk Zachor at Yom Shabbat the Kacho, the Mechilta says, Kshetamone, Haveh Mone, Echad b'Shabbat, Shenib b'Shabbat, Shlishi b'Shabbat, Riv'eib b'Shabbat, Chamishi b'Shabbat, Erev Shabbat. That part of the mitzvah of Zachor at Yom HaShabbat at Kachor, of remembering Shabbat, is to remember Shabbat the whole week. And the names of the days of the whole week are Echad b'Shabbat. Sunday is the first day of this Shabbat. And today is Erev Shabbat. The Rambam specifically says that that's the difference between Jews and non-Jews. Non-Jews give names to the days, whereas the Jews have only a name for Shabbat. And all the other na- all the other days are relative, stand in relationship to Shabbat. One, two, three, four, five, six to Shabbat. So today is Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parshat Yitro. Today is Yutet, nineteen days in Chodesh Shvat, and we will have a special Erev Shabbat program today about Pashat Yitro, to help us get ready for Shabbat. The beginning of this week's Pasha, it mentions that when Yitro comes to Moshe, he brings with him Moshe's children, and it gives their names and the reasons for their names. Moshe's second son, Eliezer, is called Eliezer, because God saved me, that's the Eliezer. That's really where the name comes from. But then there's a few extra words explaining what happened, which are not, in fact, uh, uh, put into. They don't express. They're not expressed in the name. That God saved me from the sword of Paro. Chazal explained in the beginning of Shemot, it said that after Paro got angry at Moshe, heard about what Moshe had done, it says he tried to kill him. It doesn't say how. And Moshe ran away. Moshe he ran away and went to, went to Midian. But Chazal have a longer version of that story. That it wasn't merely that Paro wanted to kill Moshe and Moshe heard about it and ran away. But in fact Moshe was caught and was about to be executed by sword. And the Midrash says that God turned Moshe's neck to stone and the sword glanced off it. And then Moshe managed to run away. And the Yerusha says about this Pasuk, that we, we learn from this, we learn from the fact that Moshe gave this name, that even if a person's neck is underneath the sword, a sharp sword is placed on the neck of a person, God can still save him. That's based on this Pasuk rather than the story in Shemot, because the story in Shemot you don't necessarily see that the Moshe Rabbeinu was in fact already condemned to death and already being struck; that he merely ran away, and that's more obvious. God, many people can run away, and God saves them. God helps them run away. But here, Moshe Rabbeinu tells us that that the sword was was over me. As Midrash says, that it actually even struck him, and nonetheless he was saved. And therefore, what the Midrash wants us to know is that there is no end, there is no final point to God saving a person even if the sword is already in motion, already even, even striking your skin, nonetheless, God can save you, and therefore one should have hope and count on that sort of salvation. There's an uh, interesting comment in the Shitam Qubetzet, in Ketubot of Kuv which expresses this in an even more extreme version in the story of, in the story of Moshe. The Gemara says there that when Rabbi Nasi, Nasi, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, when he was dying, he said they shouldn't announce that he was dead. They shouldn't tell people after he dies that he's dead. So the Shittam brings brings the name of Rashi, it's not found in our Rashi, but in Zarat Ketubot there's another version of Rashi found in the Shittam The Shittam brings the name of Rashi, that why didn't Rabbi want that they should say that he was dead? But he said the following thing if they tell people that I'm dead, people will stop davening, they'll stop praying for me, because nobody prays for the dead to come back to life. That's a miracle which you can't even you can't even express. No one will do it. But if we don't tell them, then they'll keep praying. And then maybe I will come back to life. In other words, Rebbe said that not only will God, could God, might God save him, when he's at death's door, but he frankly believes that God can save him even after he's past death's door. If people daven, if there's a reason, if people still pray. But he knows that people won't pray for him once he's dead. So he said, don't tell anybody. Let them keep praying. Who knows, it might yet achieve a miraculous result. Even from beyond death's door, I can be saved. Now what does this mean? Does this mean that one is supposed to pray for a miracle? I think the answer is yes. One should pray for a miracle. True, we have a saying that one doesn't rely on a miracle, but that's two very different things. When you're making your plans, you're supposed to be practical. you're supposed to make real plans. You don't you don't arrange your life on the expectation of a miracle because you don't deserve a miracle. Why should anyone be that confident and imagine that he will be granted a miracle? However, if you're stuck, if you're dying, if you're drowning, if, if there's nothing that you can do now, then one turns to God. And when one prays, we don't limit God's abilities. Why should one pray for a small thing when one can pray for a, a big thing? And in fact, how big a thing can one pray for is there. And this is what the Medrash is trying to tell us. Is there anything that we should imagine is beyond our right to ask or chas Shalom beyond God's power to, gra- to grant? The answer is no. And therefore... As Moshe Rabbeinu said, a person should know that there is no difference to God as to where one is placed, but you can be saved at any point. This, of course, raises another question. And that is, why did God put him in this situation? Since he's going to run away anyhow, and God will help him run away. Presumably there's a miracle involved in that as well. You have the great power of Paro. Moshe Rabbeinu, a single individual, manages to flee to Midian. So God helps him flee. So why didn't God just help him flee before he was caught? Why have him be caught, then perform this unusual miracle of having his stone turned to his neck, excuse me, his neck turned to stone, and then Moshe Rabbeinu manages to 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 run away. So I once heard an answer that it's unconnected to the previous to the previous thought. I heard an answer that says as follows. There was a uh, on the pasuk. Hashem li ba'ozray, ba'aniya ereb sonai. So there's a vote, I don't know who said it originally. There's a vote that says, Hashem li ba'ozray, when God helps me, when God is with me, ba'ozray, because of my own schuyot, because I deserved it somehow, then ani rebu's sonai. Then I get to see, then I get to see the miracle. But if as God is saving me because of some more extraneous reason, because of schutavot, because of my father's or because of Am Yisrael or for some other consideration doesn't have to do with me, myself, then I don't deserve to actually see it. So here, applying that to our case, God could have helped Moshe merely run away, but then Moshe wouldn't have seen the miracle of his salvation. When you run away in the middle of the night, they don't catch you. So intellectually, you know that God helped you and well, one thanks God for that. But you don't actually experience it because you weren't close enough to the danger to see yourself being plucked out of the danger. But Moshe Rabbeinu deserved because he was really being saved because of his own sliot. Because what? Why was he in danger in the first place? He had saved, he had saved a Jew. He had gone out and 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 put himself at risk in order to save one Jew. He deserved to see that, just as he had saved one Jew from the Mitsri who was hitting him. That God would literally save him, miraculously save him, and therefore uh, he was first actually placed in power's hands. The sword fell. The sword didn't hurt him, and then he was allowed to to run away. I think the meaning of this is within the Pasuk itself. How do we all learn this? We learn this from the Pasuk that says, gave his son the name, ki avi be'ezri, mi'cherev paro. When something good happens to you, but you don't actually see it, you don't taste it, you don't experience it, you know it's true. So you probably will thank God, you should thank God, and you will thank God, but you won't express it in the same way as when the experience of God's power and God's hand and God's salvation, you actually feel it on your skin. Moshe Rabbeinu felt the sword on his skin and felt God deflect the sword. And that led him to express it in the manner of giving his son the name to bear it witness all the time. Ki My son's name is Eliezer. The, the reaction of saying halel, of Shiva, of, of feeling the God's grace, God's hands, God's goodness and, and carrying it in your mouth. You can't possibly not say it. You have to you have to immediately respond to God by saying halel, saying thank you, by by showing your appreciation. So for that you really need to be in a situation where it's vanilla rebassana. That that your eyes, not merely your head, saw it and felt it. And then you have the reaction, this Pasuk. So all that is learned from this Pasuk. Moshe Rabbeinu had a son named Eliezer. It's, there's, an, there's an importance here of naming your son, of expressing on a permanent basis. People, every time they met a son, they say, What's your name? I'm my father's son, Eliezer, because I look, hey, be'ezri, paro. And that results because it was of paro, because I was really in the hands of of paro, and I was saved, and I was saved from it. Our guest today is Harav Moshe Eberman, who is a Ram in Yeshivat HaRetzion, a Ram for many years, and he will speak to us about Parashat Yitro. Harav
1: Eberman. In recent weeks we have read involvement of the Jewish people from a family, a collection of individuals connected through familial connection into a nation. We began with Ve'ele Shmot Bnei Yisrael Habayim the 70 people who descend to Mitzrayim, and we moved on to Ve'hi Beshalach Paro Et Ha'am. The nation is coming out of Mitzrayim. Paro sends out a nation, not just a family. This involvement, this development, reach, reaches a height when this Am becomes a goi, as Rav Soloveitchik presents it, a people with a destiny at Har Sinai with the receiving of Torah. Alongside this evolvement, alongside this main story, we find in the Parshiot that we have read, and in Parsha Gitro, a side story, one that tells us of a similar evolvement, a similar development, not of the nation, but of the individual, the leader of the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is well known, is a reluctant recipient of the responsibility of leadership. In Parshat Shemot, we read that Moshe Rabbeinu attempts to reject the responsibility and is pushed and coerced almost by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to receive that responsibility. As we read on, we discover that Moshe's leadership gains confidence, gains a strength, and along with it, gains the respect of the Jewish people. In last week's parasha, in Beshalach, after the splitting of Yam Suf, we find Az Yashir Moshe. Clearly, Moshe is the one who takes the initiative, but according to some commentaries, yashir means to cause others to sing. Here, Moshe clearly acts as a leader, taking the forefront, taking initiative, and moving others in the direction which he feels they should be going in. In this week's parasha, we discover once again Moshe, along with Am Yisrael, moving forward in his leadership. While preparing For Matan Torah. The Torah tells us that Hakalish Baruchu states to Moshe, Hinei Anuchi ba'ilecha beav ha'anan, ba'avul yishma ha'am, be imach, vegam becha, ya'aminu le'ulam. Shbaruchu says to Moshe, I will be appearing to you in a cloud for the purpose so that the people, the nation, will hear me speak to you and they will believe in you, le'olam, forever, eternally. The rece- receiving of Torah, the Ma'am Harsinai, Sinai, has an effect on Moshe's position, on Moshe's leadership. The Torah tells us that Moshe is told that as a consequence of Matan Torah, Gam becha leolam. in you too, they will believe or trust Forever, seemingly, <coughs> this promise is inc- inconsequential. The Torah tells us that the belief in Moshe Rabbeinu was achieved already at Kriyat Yamsuf. We read, Vayali Yisrael et Hayad Kdola Asher Asa Adonai b'Mitzrayim Vayiru Ha'am et Adonai Vayaminu ba'Adonai u'Ve Moshe Avdu. The nation sees. Amisrael sees the great force, the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that which he has done to Mitzrayim, and through this they see the existence, the presence of God, they also believe in Moshe, his servant. If so, what is it that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Moshe Rabenu will occur, will come about during Matan Torah. What has changed? One possibility is to understand that there is a quantitative development. The Ibn Ezra explains that in both cases, the Emunah is one that institutes within the Jewish people the belief in the principle of nevuah. says the Ibn Ezra. That since in Kriyat Yamsuf it says Vayar Yisrael and it does not say Vayar Kol Yisrael all of the Jewish people therefore we can deduce that the effect was relatively limited and that only part of Klal Yisrael come to that point of belief in Nevoah as represented by Moshe Rabbein. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling what a Baruch Hu is telling the, where Kesh is telling Moshe Rabbeinu here, is that V'gambecha ya'minu le'olam, here not only will those who previously believed in you believe now, but Klal Yisrael, the broader public, will believe in the concept of nevuah. The Ramban questions the Ibn Ezra on several fronts. One, applying to the aspect of the quantitative change, he says that in the same way that there it does not say kol Yisrael, so too here, all we hear is ba'avur yishma ha'am imach, v'gam la'olam, but it does not say kulami ya'minu everyone will trust, will believe in Nevoah. The Ibn Ezra might be based on the idea that all Jews all of Am Yisrael was present in Ma'amad Harsinai. This is an idea that is deeply rooted in the thought of Chazal, to the extent that Chazal stated not only were those who were alive at that time present and partook in Ma'amad Harsinai, but all Jews, their souls, were present at Harsinai. But if we want something somewhat more concrete, concrete in the psukim, we might find it in what the Torah tells us, later, oh. Here the Torah clearly states to us that the elements which applied at Mamad Har were notable, visible, and affected kol ha'am, the whole nation, and consequently, we might deduce that so too the nevuah applies to klal Israel, and now all Israel are aware of there being a nevuah. Another aspect of quantitative development might be noted in the wording of the pasuk here: Nitro Yitro. leolam. It is true that we find emuna and Moshe Rabbeinu. At Kriyat Yamsuf. But what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Moshe is that the belief that will come about at Har Sinai will be eternal. The Imuna in Moshe Rabbeinu at Kriyat Yamsuf is one that is affected by the experiential opportunity of living through this amazing phenomenon. But experiences are forgotten and their effects wear out. As a matter of fact, the effects of Kriyat Yamsuf are worn out so quickly that only three days later we find the Jewish people or part of the Jewish nation bickering, complaining as if Kriyat Yamsuf never occurred. Suddenly there's a question in the ability of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to supply the needs of the Jewish people, to feed them what they need, to bring them the water they need. So too can the impact that brings about the imuna and Moshe Rabbeinu, wear out within a short time. Mamad Har Sinai is one where the Jewish people receive Torah. And what HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe is, since he will be receiving Torah, since they will all see that Moshe is the recipient of Torah, then gam le'olam. The belief in Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu is a Navi, will be acknowledged eternally, as Torah is eternal. Whenever a Jew relates to Torah, he automatically relates to the Noten HaTorah, to Moshe Rabbeinu. The promise here is the added aspect of the eternity in this Emuna. But we might suggest that the difference is not only quantitative, but that there is a qualitative difference between the Emuna presented at Kriyat Yamsuf and the imuna that comes about in Parsha The Unculus on the Pasuk in B'Shalach adds a word where the Torah says, Vayaminu BaHashem UveMoshe Avdo. The Unculus says, VeHimnu B'Memra DaHashem Moshe Avde. In reference to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he adds B'Memra, the word, and in reference to Moshe Rabbeinu, he adds the word naviut. It might mean, as the Ibn Ezra suggested, that there is a concept, there is an idea of nevua. <clears throat> but it may also be understood differently. It may also be, as the Natsiv suggests in reference to vayaminu ba'ashemu v'moshe avdu. The Netziv suggests that there may have been doubt in reference to Moshe being a navi. Moshe presenting things as the desire, the Ratzon HaKadosh Baruch Moshe Rabbeinu may, in the minds of Bnei Yisrael, be just another Harry Potter, just another unique and special person who has the abilities to activate witchcraft. Or, alternately, maybe he knows how to use practical Kabbalah, O Bidi'at Shemot Gadol Kolkach, says the Nitzib. Maybe he knows how to use the Shemot HaKodesh of HaKodesh Baruch Hu to force the changes of nature that he desires. Throughout the period of the Esr HaMakot, that doubt, that question still exists. At the time of Kriyat Yamsuf, here Moshe Rabbeinu tells them what is about to happen. As the Pasuk says, Vayari Yadagdullah Shirasah Hashem Ben explains the Nitziv. What Bnei Yisrael see is not just the miracle of splitting the sea, but they see a Midat Hadin that punishes each Mitzri, Midah Keneged Midah, an identification of the faults of each Mitzri, the wrongdoings that they did to the Jews, and they're punished accordingly. That can only come about from Hashem. Here, the Jewish people see Moshe as the Eved, namely the Navi, who presents the Ratzon, the desire, the thoughts of HaKadosh Baruch. At Mamad Har Sinai, we take one step further. Mamad Har Sinai, we find that HaKadosh Baruch who says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Ba'avu bedabri The nation shall hear me speak to you, which is maybe a high level, but a format of Nevua, Ve Gam Aminu Le'olam, and also in you they will believe for eternity. There is a separate element to the emuna in Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not just the typical Navi, the Navi who is the intermediary and presents the Ratzanak Adosh Baruch. There is something independent, something unique in Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is the Notain HaTorah, the one who receives Torah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and conveys it to the Jewish people. Torah has two elements to it. There is the Torah Shebikhtav and there is the Torah Shebaalpeh. In Torah Shebikhtav, Moshe functions in a sense as a Novi. He presents that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has said, that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has commanded. Yes, the status of Torah is different than other Nevuot, but Moshe acts here to some extent as a Navi. On the other hand, there's another element of Matan Torah. There's Matan Torah Shebaal pe. In Torah al Peh, there is on one level the roots, the esodot of the word of akadash Baruch Hu. Moshe is Mekabel Torah Shebaal pe alongside Torah Shebikhtav at Ma'amad HaSinai. And he conveys that. But Torah Shebaal pe as Torah Shibalpeh allows and calls for individualistic input for the chidush aspect that the Talmud Chacham, that the teacher, that the Rav Moshe Rabbeinu conveys. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu is recognized and acknowledged as the Noten HaTorah, not only as almost a mechanical aspect that conveys Ritzonak HaKadosh Baruch to the Jewish people, but one who has his input, one who contributes his unique element. The promise to Moshe Rabbeinu is Gam Becha, in your word, in your presentation of Torah Shabaal Peh, Yaaminu Le'olam. The Torah Sheba'al Peh that you teach and you convey to the Jewish people will exist eternally alongside the Torah Shebikhtav, alongside that which they hear me say to you, Moshe Rabbeinu. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu grows one step further. He is part and parcel of the creation of Torah. He is molding those values that will define the Jewish people eternally alongside HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You have been listening to
0: Harav Moshe Eberman our guest for Pashat Yitro. When Yitro comes to see Moshe and Moshe tells him what has happened to the Jews as they left Mitzrayim and all, all the miracles that God performed for the Jews so the Pasuk says Vayichad Yitro al Kola Tova. The pshat of Vayichad means that he was happy he, he rejoiced but it is an unusual word. And the Gemara in Sanhedrin has two opinions as to what, as in Josh, what this word Vayichad means. The word khad means sharp or pointy. So the two opinions are there. Rav Amar, chada al b'saron. Vayichad yitro, he put something sharp on his flesh which means that he converted. He, he, he circumcised himself and he joined the Jewish people. What Rabbi is saying is that the appropriate reaction to hearing what, what Yitro heard, that God had saved the Jews and brought them out of Egypt and performed all these miracles, the most appropriate reaction, the one which Yitro in fact did, was not just to say it's nice, not to say thank you, not to say hallel, but to join. Everything else I think, leaves out a certain amount of commitment. If, if you really see God's hand in that way, then you shouldn't stand on the side. And Rav said that Yitro became Jewish. He converted to Judaism and stayed with the Jews. Shmuel said something else. Almost almost the opposite. Shmuel said, what does it mean? He was chad, he was sharp. That his skin literally became It became pointy, pointy. In other words, he had he had what we call goosebumps. Yitro's skin crawled when he heard the good news. Why? So the Gemara continues. i Rav. Rav said this is an example of the folk saying something which people say, the wisdom of the people, that. You should be careful not to insult a non Jew in the presence of a convert, even for 10 generations. In other words, Rab understood that Shmuel's statement, the reason why Yitro's skin crawled, was because even though clearly he was happy, and he came, and the Pasak says, he said, Baruch Hashem, he, he immediately gives thanks to God and expresses it in a wonderful manner. But at the same time he had goosebumps. He, he had a chill run through his body when he heard about the fact that with all these great miracles the result was that all these Egyptians had been killed. And Yitro could not help despite the fact that he is willingly joining in with the Jewish people and saying Baruch Hashem and coming to Moshe Abeinu, he could not help but feel a shudder run through his body because of some basic identification that he has with the Egyptians. Because at the best, Yitro is a Giyorah, he's a convert. And underneath his skin, he still has the sympathy and connection to the Egyptians who were once more as his people. So I'd like to know, is this a criticism of Yitro? I don't think so. It wouldn't make sense for Chazal to introduce a criticism of Yitro when the pasha is so clearly pro Yitro, and, and every other Mamar Chazal that I know of about Yitro is positive. I think there's a compliment. What and that's why it's haynud de'amur yinchi. There's a folk saying which Chazal agree with that you should realize it's very important. And we're not criticizing all converts, but no matter where a person, no matter what a person has decided to do, you always carry a little bit from your previous life. And I think what Chazal is saying is that's the way it should be. Because you cannot uproot oneself completely. You can change your life and give it new meaning, but underneath your skin, the idea of chidudin, chidudin, that one's, one's, one's flesh reacts, it means it's not in your head. It's not even in your heart. It's something that's even, it's even like lower or more basic. Yitro was totally committed to Hashem Elokei Yisrael, and to the and to the justice and the future of the Jewish people, but but something underneath the skin. What is there? He wasn't upset. He wasn't sad, but he shuddered. There's a certain emotional connection, which isn't broken because you've you've changed your life around. In fact, I think what the midrash is saying is that read the pshat and the drash together. Vayichad, he was happy. Vayichad. His happiness was accompanied by a subliminal crawling of the skin of a basic identification, sympathy and compassion for that which he once was. And that doesn't get wiped out because your head and your heart and your commitment have have been changed. Today's Halachayomit. Yomit is when saying Kriyat shema. There's a Halakha that says the Kriyat shema must be said in order. Let's say somehow I get in the Kriyat shema and I realize that I left out a Pasuk. It's unlikely this could happen, but let's say, or you made a mistake, you suddenly realize that you pronounced the word incorrectly, you didn't say a Pasuk or, or some other mistake. So you have to say the Pasuk, but you cannot say the Pasuk out of order. Therefore you have to go back to the point where you we, we left something out, where you made a mistake, and say from there to to the end. Now, what sometimes happens is that uh, we lose track of where we're up to. Get a little drowsy. You're saying Kriyat Shema habitually, and you're not sure whether you're in the first chapter or the second chapter, because the end of the and the end of Ayam Shamoah are almost identical. It's almost the same thing. Suppose someone has basically half fallen asleep. Suddenly he wakes up and he's he's in that pasuk. But he doesn't know if he said the second chapter at all. Maybe he's still in the first chapter. So since you're not sure, you have to go back to the first chapter, to the pasuk that you'd be up to if it was in the first chapter, and say continue by Ya'im Shemaah on the assumption that perhaps you haven't you haven't said it. However, the Gemara says that if you find yourself saying the pasuk that the comes after then you can assume that you said the entire second chapter. Why? Because you can rely on the fact that your the habit has taken over and 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 you've said it correctly. If you're ready up to Lama you've probably said the previous chapter. And this is true despite the fact that the previous two pasukim are very, very similar. So that one could mistakenly say and Yirbu right after of the first chapter. But the fact is that the Pesukum are not exactly identical, as well as the psychological effect in your subconscious, you do know where you're up to. So we assume that you've said it correctly. It's basically based on a very important and correct psychological fact. The fact is that you've fallen asleep. And why did your mouth keep working? Because it's on automatic pilot. So if you'd been saying it, in fact, with great attention, I want to say this Pesuk and that Pesuk, you really might make a mistake. You could get confused and jump to the man after finishing the first, after finishing the first chapter. But precisely because you weren't paying attention to what you were saying, you were saying it automatically. The automatic pilot actually works more accurately than than mental intention. And there, the subtle psychological clues of the pace and where you're up to, and, and the small changes which do exist, have probably influenced you to keep you keep you on track. All this, of course, is assuming something we mentioned in a previous halacha that you don't actually need kavanah. B'diavad, if you said kriyachma without kavanah, the second parak. Then you yotze say, anyhow, where do you need Kavanah? Only for the first Pasuk. Poskim say, the first two The Brun holds the first chapter, Vahavta, Ababayim Shamoah, you definitely yotze without intention. So if you finish Vahim Shamoah without really knowing what you were saying, but your mouth, your mouth worked automatically, there's an interesting Gemara in Yerushalmi that says, it's about Tefillah, not about Kriyachma, or on the Amaraim, great Tzadik, people we look up to, said, we really have to thank our mouths who feel out even when our brains are not connected to them. So it happens sometimes. So you finish finished the second parak, because we assume you finished the second parak, but you definitely said without Kavana, but you yotze the first parak, hopefully you said with Kavana, or at least Shema and Vayayim Shema. So that's one halacha. The second halacha, there was a den of Hefsek in Kriyat shema. If, if Kriyat you not let me Mavsek was in Kriyat Shema, from the beginning to the end, from Shema till the end of uh, Hashem Elokechem, with, uh, with emet. A hafsek could be an interruption. You spoke, you, you did something else. But hafsek is also silence. How much silence? I mean, you pause all the time. How much silence? So the Gemara says that the amount of silence that's considered to be a hafsek is k'day ligmor et kula. The amount of time it would take you to say the entire Kriyachma. In other words, if I've seen it, I think I've even experienced it. Sometimes on Leil Shabbat, it's been a long week, it's a long Kriyat shema. People sometimes fall asleep in the middle of Kriyat shema. If you pause in the middle of Kriyat shema for the amount of time in which you could say the entire Kriyat shema, then that's a half-sake. And when you wake up, or when the person next to you wakes you up, you have to go back to the beginning of Kriyat shema and say it all from beginning to end, in the proper order, without a, without a, without a kula is the amount of time it would take you, on your based on your pace of davening, your pace of saying the the Shema, to say it. Some people say it faster, some people say it slower. It's not an objective amount of time. You know, I can tell you right now, K'day li'gmorat kula is 90 seconds. It's on your, it's relative to the way you're saying it. If you said Kriyat you said the first parak. And then you fell asleep. The amount of time it would take you now on this on the basis of your rate in the first parak to say the first, second, and third parak, then that's a hepsech, and you have to go back to the beginning. Same halacha incidentally applies to other things where there's a problem of hepsaik, like shmon essay. If you pause in the middle of essay for one reason or another, it's obviously going to be a much longer shi'ur, but the amount of time it takes to say the entire essay is a hepsac. In saying sh'man the amount of time it takes you to say sh'man would be a hefsek for you uh, in in your particular sh'man essay Here too, in kriyat if one pauses in the middle, falls asleep, stops saying it for one reason or another, uh, has something stuck in his throat, and then has a coughing attack, the amount of time of kula is a hefsek which requires repeating the kriyat from the beginning to the end in one in one uh, in one saying. In one in one burst of of activity, and that's it for today. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom of This is Ezebek, speaking from Yeshiva Tarbut in Kuchetia. We'll be back next week, beginning the seventh week of KMTT. Monday's shiur in uchot by Harav Khan. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. כי מיציון תצאי תורה ודבר השם ירושלים